0: Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 11. We'll be finishing the last several verses of Genesis chapter 11 today as we continue on in our sermon series in Genesis. Genesis will be in Genesis chapter 11, verses 27 through 32. Uh, this past week, uh, I had an experience that I haven't had in a little while. Um, it's not uncommon for Kim and I to travel into Manhattan for doctor's appointments or an occasional dinner in the city. But this past week, we went into Manhattan uh, as a family. Um, And I was reminded very quickly, because when it's just Kim and I, we're just enjoying our time together and uh, taking in sights and whatever's happening around us. But it's a completely different uh, dynamic when I have my children with me, especially my daughters. And as we were walking through the city, I was reminded of how many people are actually in the city. And how many different doors and, and roads that, that you can get separated from each other. Uh, my kids are a little bit older, but there's still a concern that one of my kids would get lost. There was even a moment in the city where my youngest daughter, Nora, who's eight, ran ahead of us and went around a corner and my heart dropped. Because it made me realize how quickly a little one could disappear. Because of this, we we try to make sure that our kids know where we're going and, and how to get there. So if we get separated, we can just meet at the planned location. But let me encourage you to think about it this way. Oftentimes, in our lives, we can feel like we've been separated from God. We can even sometimes feel like He's far away. We can feel like the path of our life has in a sense become broken but God in his mercy and grace can redeem our way here's the thesis for today here's the main idea sin and its effects can make God feel far away but if we heed God's voice he will comfort and redeem us with this in your mind I want to invite you to stand one more time if you're able for a reading from the word of God Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 27 and going through verse 32, it says this. Now these are the generation of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Ishka. Now, Sarah was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth, in, or went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. This is a reading from the Word of God. You may be seated. What we're going to see right away in this particular passage is that the shocking effects of sin continue, but God's comfort abounds. Now, if you remember, if you've been tracking along with us in the study of Genesis, we're fresh off the genealogy of Shem. And since the genealogy of Shem immediately precedes this particular passage, we might be tempted to think that this is just a continuation of that genealogy. But what we find in these verses that follow are this pattern that uh, many of the previous sections we have seen follow. What's happening here is that in the previous verses, there's a larger picture that's painted, followed by a more detailed explanation of some of the previous sections. In the previous section, we see the family line of Noah's son, Shem, and we see that family line to Abram, who will become Abraham. And now in these verses, some details that are foundational for our understanding of chapter 12. Namely, how we think about Abraham and what God does in his life. The emergence of Abram and Sarai should, in a sense, bring some excitement as the sense that we're finally turning from the bad events of the curse of sin, the flood, the Tower of Babel, that we're actually turning to some good news. And ultimately, we'll see what Romans 4.11 says, tells us, is a message of justification by faith alone. But if we think about Abraham, we we would rightly think about him as the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus, the one who trusted the call of God so much that he would sacrifice his own son, the one that God himself says, I am the God of Abraham. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, when Moses encounters God in the burning bush, God calls himself the God of Moses' father, and he starts with Abraham. Jesus quotes this verse when speaking to his opponents as evidence for his teaching, and he recalls the God of Abraham. We'd also remember Abraham as the one who rescues Lot, once with force and once with prayer, But this passage tells us that Abram, or Abraham, who is still called Abram here, wasn't always the great man of faith that we know. And he had to walk through some very dark days before God brings him out of both physical and spiritual darkness. The circumstances of Abram's life are used by God to prepare him for the moment that God calls him out of physical and spiritual darkness. Abram has been molded by his life to prepare him to heed the call of God. Now, this this needs to stick in your brain. Let me say this to you again as you start to think about your own circumstances. Abram has been molded by his life to prepare him to heed the call of God. Before we unpack that, let's see the first situation Abram finds himself in. Look with me at verse 27. In verse 27 of Genesis chapter 11, we see five people mentioned. Terah, who is the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran's son, Lot. So we have fathers, we have sons, A grandfather and a grandson listed. But verse 28 tells us that one of the worst things that could ever happen to someone happens. A father has to bury his son. Haran, the son of Terah, dies in the presence of his father. Now, I can't even begin to imagine seeing one of my sons die. This could, though, simply mean that his son died before him, before his father. But either way, I hope to never be at the funeral of one of my children. But many of us in this present day have experienced this tragedy, some through the loss of an older child, some through the loss of miscarriage. But what is true about all of those circumstances it is that the death of a child rips out your heart. The death of a loved one, especially a child, can be some of the darkest days of our lives. But the story of Abram's family is a story of the mercy and comfort in God. In our moments of greatest loss, God may sometimes seem far away, But even in these verses, God seems far away. What you'll notice right away is he's not mentioned here. God is not named in these verses. But you must know, brother and sister, that God is near. And in fact, he is close. We must believe the promise of Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Can I just tell you that whatever difficult situations you have faced or or might even be facing right now, these won't be the last ones that you face. You will face other hardships. But God is preparing you to face those situations knowing that he is there and that he won't let you fall. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. He is the God who is abounding in comfort. And in fact, when we experience difficulty, we know the comfort of God in a new, extreme way. God is near to the brokenhearted. But not only do we see God's comfort abound in these later verses to this very difficult situation, what we see is that God will redeem shame for his glory. Look at verses 29 and 30 with me. As we continue to look at the past of Abram, we see two more wrinkles, we see two more issues. And at first, this story seems to take a positive turn. We see that Terah's two remaining sons get married, which would be reason for a celebration, a time of excitement for what the future holds. And we had a, a good laugh in some sense about uh, how this is worded in our class this morning. It says, Abram and Nahor took wives. Now, I don't know, you single guys, if you're looking for a pickup line, I don't think I'm going to take you to, bring, to be my wife. Is probably going to work in this day and age. But what's being communicated here is that there is a, a celebration that potentially these two men will take to themselves wives and and potentially start a family together. But when we take a deeper look at their wives, we find a deeper meaning to their names. Sarah's name is a form of the name Sharatu, which was the wife of the moon god Sin. And Milka's name is a form of the name Mokatu, which was the daughter of the moon god sin. Now, this doesn't mean that Sarai and and Milka were followers of this moon god, but it does mean that they have a family lineage of worshiping false gods. Now, this isn't just speculation on my part. This is something that Joshua in his book, in Joshua 24.2, confirms In Joshua 22, 4, he mentions Terah, Abraham, and Nahor by name. He says this And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. And again, we can sympathize with these people, as most of us have some sort of false worship. In our past. Even for those of us that that came from Christian backgrounds, there was a time that we worshiped a God of our own making or a God of man made religion. There were many years in my life that I lived in constant fear of God, that I was afraid that I would do one or two things and he would no longer love me. I lived as what is often referred to as a legalist, uh, meaning that I had to constantly do good things to earn the favor of God. And in the process, I completely minimized the reality that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for me to be in good standing with God the Father. And maybe many of you held to some sort of man-made or false religion in your past as well. And when we first encountered the God of the Bible, we felt a sense of shame that that we would ever worship such a small God, a God that we could make, especially when the God of the universe was right there for us to worship all along. But there's another issue in these verses. We see it in verse 30. We're told something about Sarai. There's a word the text uses to help us understand the heaviness of the situation. It's the word barren, meaning Sarai is unable to have children. As if to encourage us to feel how heavy this is, Sarai is actually described by what she lacks. But infertility is something that many couples experience in their relationship. As hard as losing a child is, not being able to have children might be just as hard. You feel like you're missing out on a blessing from the Lord. We read passages like Psalm 127, 3 through 5, where it who says this, Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Or the chapter right after that in Psalms. Psalm 128, verses 3 through 4 says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around the table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Now, before we unpack what's happening here in the text... For those of you who do have parents or do have children and might be a little frustrated with them right now, let me remind you that your children are a blessing from the Lord. Amen? Even though some of them you might not be happy with right now, they are a blessing from the Lord. But for those of us who may have struggled with infertility or are currently struggling with it, we can start to think that you're doing something wrong, as the bless, a blessing from the Lord seems to include children. Especially in this day, in the day of Abram and Sarai, her value as a woman is directly tied to her ability to have children. And especially in our day and age, where there are so many people who seem to not care about their children, and thousands of children are aborted every year, you can start to get bitter at the situation and ultimately bitter at God. But the situation here is, is serious and, and maybe more serious than we would even assume at first because if Sarai isn't able to have any children, which, which is setting the stage for something significant that happens later in Genesis, there's a desire that they have to have children, especially sons, first and foremost, to carry on the family name, but also because at this time there's no Social Security, there's no 401ks, there's no retirement homes. Your children, especially your sons, were needed for you to be cared for in your old age. But, But look what God's doing here. If we take a second look at Sarai's name, we find the meaning of it is actually princess. And I believe that this is done by God to set up the incredible display of his power and what he will do through Sarai. For from her, from this barren one, will proceed a great nation both physically and spiritually. And Sarai will become the mother of the nation of Israel and ultimately the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ." This, in fact, is something that we're going to see happen several times in Scripture where the matriarchs of our faith will be barren. But it happens to reveal the great power of God and what he is about to bring about. But let me be honest with you for a second. There is not a one-to-one connection between obeying God and getting the thing that you want. Let me say that to you again. There is not a one-to-one connection between obeying God and getting the thing that you want. But what God does promise us is that if we follow him and give our life to him, his gospel will save us. There are times when God gives us the desires of our hearts and works out things that we may have hoped for. But the one thing that you can rest assured of Is that any sense of loss, any sense of lack of want, will melt away when you see your Savior face to face and your faith is made sight? Jesus talks about this in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 says And calling to the crowd, to him with his disciples, he said to them, This is Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This passage makes it clear that we can have everything that this life has to offer, But if we don't surrender our life to God, it won't actually mean anything. But here's the truth that that I want you to, to hold on to. God will redeem whatever you perceive as shame, loss, or lack for his glory. You must believe this, brothers and sisters, that God will redeem whatever you perceive as shame, loss, or lack for his glory. In the last two verses of this particular section, I want you to see this particular truth, that you can only go so far without God. Again, in verse 31, this text seems to take a promising turn. The family of Terah starts out on a journey. The text tells us that they're headed to Canaan. Now, if you're a little familiar with the Old Testament, you might know this land by a different name. It's often referred to as the promised land. And for everyone who thinks that the Bible is old news and isn't relevant today, this promised land is in the region that is so constantly talked about in the news when it comes to Gaza. Now, there is some debate as to if Gaza is part of the promised land, but the point of this text is not to settle this debate. But it is meant to show the importance of this region and to start to build an excitement about God's people going to the land that God set aside for them. But I think that we can all agree that the worst part of any trip is traveling. I, especially as I get a little bit older, and I know I'm still in my 40s, I'm a baby, I get it, But being stuck in a car or being stuck in a seat in a plane is no fun. Your back starts to get tight. Your hips start to hurt. The kid behind you is out of control, kicking your seat. Might even be my own children, sorry. But it's totally worth it if the destination you are traveling to is amazing. The trip is worth it if where you're going is phenomenal. But again, right away, we're confronted with two issues. First, the first issue is they don't make it to Cana. They don't make it to the promised land. They stop in a land with the same name as Terah's dead son. And this brings us to the second issue. Terah dies in Haran. Listen to what's happening here. An idolatrous father takes his son and barren daughter-in-law into exile to live, and he dies, leaving the couple disposed of everything. And what happens so often is the promised land was not for the father, but for the son. Now, why they stopped the text doesn't tell us, but it was God that moved them according to Genesis fifteen seven. Genesis 15, 7, the text tells us that the Lord who is speaking here says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Or in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 7, it says, You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. It is God who is working to move them. But this moment becomes very significant in the history of Israel. So significant that Stephen gives this moment as the beginning of the evidence that proved the legitimacy of Jesus when he said in Acts chapter 7 verse 4, Stephen says in Acts chapter 7 verse 4, then he went out of the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. And even though Abram makes it to the promised land, there was a city that he was looking forward to that is greater than any city. This is where some of the arguments that are happening currently around the promised land miss the point of what Christ is actually after. They miss the point that there is something greater than any physical land that's been promised now, namely himself himself. Namely, the ability to spend eternity with him in heaven. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10 says this. By faith, Abram went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Listen to this. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. The city that Abram, by faith, was ultimately looking for is the city that's referenced in Revelation 21, verses 9 through 14. This city is often referred to as the New Jerusalem. Listen listen to these words. And especially, here's, here's what I'm hoping to do today. If you are experiencing difficulty at this moment, if you find yourself in the midst of a struggle, if you find yourself bogged down in the way of life, we need to constantly be looking forward and looking ahead to what God is doing now and what he will do in the future. We need to look forward as strangers and foreigners in this land, this place that we don't belong, to the place that we do belong, this heavenly city in which we will dwell with God for all eternity. Listen to these words and let your heart be encouraged in these words of our final destination in Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 through 14. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, this difficulty that we feel in this life, the hardships, the true hardships that we will face in this life, will be completely washed away when we enter this city forever. But here's the other side of this truth. You see, you might have all the accomplishments that you could possibly have in this life, you might have tons of success. But you can only go so far without God. The builders of the Tower of Babel learned this. Even if they finished the tower that reached into the heavens, they would have never made it to the new Jerusalem with God. Abram is the beginning of the story of the truth that there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ, his son, No matter the difficulties and shame you have faced in this life, God can redeem you and comfort you all the way to heaven. But you must go his way. Here's what I'm saying. Put your faith in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin and trust that God will carry you to heaven. But but in the meantime as we wait for this glorious day in which God takes us home or, or he comes back for us, we must see the truths exposed to us in the word of God and actually take action to live out of these truths. And I want to admonish you to, to take action in two ways, encourage you to take action in two ways. First and, and foremost, as we, we look at, at Abram and his lineage, We must recognize that there is sin all around us and a temptation for us to walk in this sin, a temptation to serve a a false religion. And we must believe what God calls sin and flee from it. The first step of this path towards God is to believe what God calls sin, not what the world says is sin. Because you, you understand in the world today, now everything is good, If you think it's good, do you understand how dangerous this is? How truly dangerous this is? If you think that it's good, then it is. What is the end of that? There is no end. But God has said that we are condemned by our sin and sin is anything that violates the word or the law of God in his word. Once we have repented and God calls us off the broken path that our life was on, we must now by the power of God walk the redeemed way. Even though we don't bow down to statues, we can still worship false idols. The idol of money, maybe one of the most devious idols of all, is being liked by others. Here's here's two questions I want to pose to you. Does the path of money encourage you or pull you away from the path of pursuit of God? You must truly evaluate which path you are walking by the actions of your life. Or maybe here's another way of asking the second part of this question. Does your desire to be liked by others encourage you to speak and act differently than you know you should? You see, once we've been called off and brought back from this path that leads down the path of sin to death and hell, and we've been put on the redeemed path that God would have us walk, he has a specific purpose primarily for his glory, but also to live in such a way that the gospel is made manifest, is made alive in our lives, meaning the way that we live and what we value should be radically different than the world around us. But maybe, maybe you're like me, and when I start to look at my life, I recognize that there are a lot of things that probably need to change. There might be more than one or two things on my list of of things that I need to start doing differently. Um, I kind of felt like this this past week. Um, Have you ever had so much to do you felt like you should just take a nap? Have you ever done that? My concern is that in the Christian life we might fall into the same trap. We look at how much we need to grow and it seems insurmountable, so we do nothing. So let me encourage you, and I'm actually even going to challenge you, that the journey of a thousand miles, you've heard this saying before, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. And instead of being frozen by the overwhelming details of our life, let's not forget to do the small things that move us in the right direction. Now, now this might sound minimal, but let me suggest to you that, that this is actually massive. Because every one of us would say, we know we're supposed to read our Bibles. Amen? Do you know that you're supposed to read your Bible? Did, did you know that? I, I mean, this isn't like new information to you, is it? I mean, if it is, God bless you. I'm glad you're, you're here. But Christians should read their Bible and think about it every day. But I can tell you this past week, this is just me being honest, 48 hours passed and I realized I had not read my Bible. And I'm your pastor. I'm supposed to, like, this is what I do, right? But I didn't read it personally for myself. It should be the daily habit of reading the Scriptures. This is the only way by which we know God and we know what he expects of us. But right akin to that is is prayer. Now, let me say this first. If you are struggling with reading your Bible and you feel like you need some help to get engaged with it, That is part of what we're attempting to do as a church. Our Sunday morning Connect classes, our weekly Bible studies, and our life groups are all aimed at helping you get into the Word, into the Bible at a deeper level. So if you feel like you're overwhelmed by even approaching your Bible, let me encourage you to come at 930 and attend one of our our Connect classes to learn the Bible in in a deeper way, and maybe it will feel less intimidating to you. But along with Bible study, the the other thing that we should be regularly doing is praying. These should just be normal, constant things that happen in our life. And let let me say, too, if you struggle with what to pray, we have a service on Wednesday nights at 715 that is primarily circled around praying together. If you're not sure what to pray or how to pray, come and listen to some of these dear saints who come week after week and pray together and you'll get some instruction on how to pray. But, but here's the challenge, and this, this is where, even as I wrote this this week, it, it sounds so minimal, but if you actually take it, it could be profound for you. And, and if you're ahead of what I'm about to say, then, then push forward. But here's the challenge, and I, I want you to write this down. I want you to take this challenge. Here's the challenge. I'm calling it the five-by-five. I'm challenging you to read five verses and pray five minutes every day. Read five verses and pray five minutes every day. Five-by-five challenge. And can I tell you, if you do this for a week or maybe two weeks, you will be shocked at how much you can spiritually grow in five verses and five minutes every day. Now... I'm already already anticipating that some of you feel so busy that you're not sure how you would read the Bible, five verses, and pray five minutes each day. There might be someone who would say that. That's an excuse I've used. But, But let me just encourage you. There are so many other things throughout the day that take hours of time to do that it should be simple enough for us to dedicate at the very most 10 minutes to spending time with God. I hope that even as you look at this particular passage and you see the path that God takes Abraham through to prepare him for what he's about to do in his life, that you would see even God in a more glorious way of what he's about to do, and that you would, as an act of worship, give him this time on a daily basis. I hope, and it has been my prayer all week, that if there is someone who is here today or who is listening online who is struggling mightily with the detail that's happening in their life, whether it's the death of a loved one or or any number of things that we're going to experience in life that would be difficult, that you would be encouraged to know that God is near and that God is not out of control. But in fact, these moments of our lives are preparing us for something greater. Namely, the time that we will worship God in eternity. If you're here today and and you're facing a, a very difficult struggle that you feel like you might need help with, we have biblical counseling available to be able to walk through those seasons with you, to be able to help you from the word of God. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, or you're listening online and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, Let me just say that God has done one of the most glorious things he could ever do for you and your life. You simply just have to turn to him in repentance, confess that you're a sinner, and receive the free gift of salvation, and God will carry you through your life all the way into heaven. But brothers and sisters, I'd like to invite you to pray with me now. i would ask you to stand and enter into prayer with me. Let's ask God to help us this week to be more dedicated and disciplined to following him on the path of righteousness. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful that we're reminded from these texts in the Scripture that you take imperfect people, you take people who, by all accounts, Face very difficult situations, very hard situations, and you redeem them for your glory. That there's no situation that we've faced in this life, there is no hardship that we have faced in our lives that you are not walking side by side with us through. Lord, help us to continue to turn to you in the midst of our difficult times. Help us to be dedicated to studying your word and to praying to you every day. Lord, help us to increase our discipline of knowing your word and spending time speaking to you in prayer. Lord, I ask that today if there is anyone under the sound of my voice that is struggling and is experiencing a circumstance that is causing them great heartache, That they would, in a special way, know your comfort today. That through this story of Abram and Sarai, that they would know that you are a God who cares about them. That you are a God who is in control. And even when things seem out of control for us, that you have a perfect plan. That every circumstance you are using to work together for our good and your glory, even if we can't see it right now, we can believe that you are a God who loves us, and wants what's best for us help us Lord help us to walk the redeemed way that you have set us on according to your word we ask this in the precious name of Jesus amen thank you for joining us please feel free to share this message but remember don't charge for it or change it the Lord's message should be free and for everyone